0: Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, Glad that you could be a part of our worship today. And we are truly um, excited to be able to see you here with us. And, you know, I I just want to begin by saying how good God is. God is good, isn't he? Absolutely, man. I tell you, I can't imagine going through this life without him. I had a, a memorial service yesterday. For a, a man who was 45 years old and passed away and um, they he passed away back in October of last year this this man had suffered with addiction for for so long and it was so frustrating and so um, you know as we had our time and talking you know we 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 realized that you know his mom had talked with him, and he shared his beliefs about Jesus and about god and and that he had been immersed into Christ when he was a younger boy and so he really he really struggled, but he had the hope in Christ, and I don't believe that God condemns us because of one stupid thing we do in our lives because I want to tell you, I'm guilty of doing a lot of stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> and and God, I believe, truly um is good because He uh He just blesses all the time. And I can't imagine not having that hope in, in the Lord Jesus. But I, I want to share this message with you, and I, I do want to tell you that I had not one of you in mind when I when 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 I'm when I'm doing this. So if 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 you get your toes stepped on this morning. Consider it the Holy Spirit doing that to you, okay? It's not Bob Hart, it's just the Holy Spirit. But it happens every fall, and for many, we just can't wait to hear those six words, well, used to be able to hear those six words coming out of his mouth. Those six words bring out some crazy things in a lot of people. Hank Williams, Jr., is probably more famous for these words than any of the songs that he's ever done. And what are those words? Are you ready for some football? That's right. Those are the six words. And for 22 years, he was on national television saying those words. Are you ready for some football? You know, we we only have about 65 days until the start of the of this year's season And and every one of us, I'm sure, have our high hopes that the Washington football team is going to win it all this year, right? (laughs) No. I know that, how many of you are Dallas Cowboy fans? Okay, we're sorry for you. Yes, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) you know, and and I don't know how many of you, you yeah, Casey gets up to leave. Uh, don't let the door hit you too hard, buddy. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. How many of you were glued to your TV on April the 28th and 29th of this year? No, no one. That was when uh, they had the 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 draft, the NFL draft, and so I, I watched it as much as I could, but you know I had other things I had to do. But around here, probably Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, definitely Penn State, maybe, you know, Happy Valley, um, hasn't been so happy in the last few years. Uh, maybe some of you are, uh, West Virginia University fans. I don't know. May, uh, yeah. (laughs) We have, we have, we have one over here. So if, if if you don't believe, um, football reigns supreme. You know, especially in Pennsylvania, it seems like it. And if you don't believe that, man, all you gotta do is go up to Penn State, like the day of the game, and and watch these crazy people. I mean, they're, they're literally crazy people, you know, at the stadium. It's almost comical to watch. And if, if you think that's bad, you should, you should go to Alabama. I'm telling you what, one guy said of Alabama, he says, football in Alabama is more than a sport. It is the way we live. We, we live football 365 days a year. And it's almost like a religion. This is what he's saying. He says, in fact, we begin to indoctrinate our children with football theology even before they come out of the womb. Is that taken a little bit too far or what? He says, every Alabamian at some point in their childhood must declare their team's affiliation whether they want to or not and so football fans do crazy things you know they 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 pack up the rv and they head to this parking lot of their favorite football team so that they can grill out and watch the game on television right outside the stadium it's like when you could just stay at home (laughs) and do all those things at home you know i don't get it sometimes but that but they they do And, and some fans are very finicky you know, when things are going good for their team, then they, they, they fill the stands and they cheer them on. But when the chips are down, and the critics come out of the closet. Players get criticized, the coaching staff gets criticized, and, and they, they, they talk about the way it used to be. The fans become frenzied. You know, they, they just want their team to be on top all the time. You know, they, 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 they fill the, the, the pews and, and they wait to be entertained. You know, I just, it's just unbelievable how they, they fill the, the stadiums up every, every Saturday and every Sunday for this. It's, it's like it, they become frenzied. You know, they, they feed on the excitement and, and, and some will vanish when difficult times come. They're, they're called fair weather fans. That's what they're called. But you know that I'm not here to talk to you about football today. But this makes a pretty good point that I'm going to try to make today. You know, it's not about football, but it's the sad truth is is that many Christians today resemble football fans. They rally around the excitement and they run from the work. They encourage in the good times they criticize when things aren't going so well they fill the pews and they wait for the entertainment and i don't want you to be entertained i don't that's not what we're here for is it we're not here to be entertained absolutely not at all we're not here to be entertained you know, and, and some want to have a relationship with Jesus with all the benefits, but none of the commitment. And you see what I'm saying here today. I, I didn't think of any of you guys in mind when, when I'm, when I'm thinking about this because, because I don't look at you guys that way. But I, I tell you that, that, and I've, I've been in churches where this is so true. You know, some want to have a relationship with Jesus with all the benefits, but none of the commitment. No strings attached arrangement type of thing. You know, where you can connect with him from time to time, but it doesn't really mess up your your life or your schedule. You know, in other words, what I'm saying is you want to be a fan of Jesus, but you don't want to be a follower of him. And I want you to think about that for a minute, to be a fan or to be a follower. There was a book written about that, and we're going to talk about that in a second. To be a fan or to be a follower You know, I I think that we need to be careful. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, Jesus puts it this way. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Luke chapter 9, this is what he says in verses 23 and 24. Luke 9, 23 and 24. I'll give you a chance to get there. He says this. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever wants to lose his life will save it. I think that's pretty clear what he's saying there. You know, followers deny themselves. Followers, true disciples, take up their cross, and they follow Jesus on a daily basis. That's what followers do. A fan is simply defined as an enthusiastic admirer. So the question remains for me to ask of all of us here today, not just you, but me as well, is this. Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? And See, only you can answer that question for yourself. Only you can answer that. But are you a fan or are you a follower? There's a book out entitled Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. And if you have time, you should read that book. It's a really good book. How many of you have ever read that book? Anybody? Anybody here? Okay. Well, then if you, I think we have it here at the church. There, there might be a copy somewhere at the church. So if you, if, if you get a chance to, you should read it. It's, it's a very good book. And he goes into greater detail of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And as you read through the Gospels, you're going to find example after example where Jesus will put people in a position where they have to choose. They have to decide what they're going to do. You know, sometimes there were large crowds following him in Luke chapter 14 and John chapter 9 and and several other places. And Jesus would preach a sermon that would determine who in the crowd would end up being fans or followers whether they would stick with him or walk away and leave him. That was, that was the choice. Jesus was never impressed. Now I want you to hear this. Jesus was never impressed by the size of the crowd. Because, see, there's a lot of churches where people go to because they're impressed by the size of the crowd. But Jesus was never impressed by the size of the crowd. It's the commitment level that he cared about. It's the commitment level of each person that's sitting out there in those seats. That's what he's concerned about. And I think there's the possibility that instead of having churches filled with a community of followers, you may find sanctuary after sanctuary filled with a lot of fans and not a lot of followers. where we may wear a cross. You know, we might have that, the, a little necklace cross there, but we don't bear the cross. You can, you can come to church, you can know all the songs, and by the way, guys, for having to improvise, you did a great job. That was a good job today. That song, you know, that, that, that we did at communion time. You know, I love that song. It's a, it's a beautiful song because it, it's the story of the gospel message in a nutshell, isn't it? In one song right there. It, it, it truly is. But we can come to church and we can know all the songs and we can know our Bibles and we can take notes and we can walk out to our car and we can have a Jesus fish on the bumper of our car and we can say grace at, at lunch or supper. But that doesn't necessarily make us a follower of Jesus Christ. We can do all those things, and it won't necessarily make us a follower. And I think for years, I have made the situation more complicated than necessary for myself, and whether I'm a fan or a follower. And trust me, you know, it's very frustrating, especially being a preacher, to say that. But sometimes it's the truth. In large part, it's because I think I've confused knowing about Jesus with knowing Jesus. You know, it was just a couple weeks ago I was out for a walk. I I took Elliot and went for a walk. And I was just asking myself that question Am, Am I really a follower or am I just going through the motions? I don't want to be just going through the motions of my Christian walk. And maybe all of you have been there. Maybe some of you are going through that right now. I don't know. But I'm telling you, it, it's very frustrating. But there is a difference, I believe, between knowledge and intimacy. Absolutely. Maybe some of you grew up with the the same way I did, thinking that it was knowledge and, and good behavior that made me a really good follower. And don't get me wrong, I think those are important. You know, I love Jesus. I knew I knew a lot about Jesus. But for a long time, I don't really think I knew Jesus. You know, I wasn't talking to him every day about my life. I, I wasn't listening to him to speak into my life. And see, a lot of us, don't mind Jesus on a once a week Sunday basis. We don't mind him because he's not really interfering with our lives. If we do that, you know, we, we don't, we don't mind making some minor changes in our lives, but Jesus wants to turn our lives upside down. He wants to turn our lives inside out. That's what he wants to do for us. He wants to turn it upside down. He wants to turn it inside out. You know, we want him to do a little bit of touch-up work here. And for me, it might be a lot, but Jesus wants to do a complete renovation. You know, we're we're thinking of a tune-up, and Jesus is thinking of an overhaul. You know, we, we want just a little bit of makeup, and what we need is a complete makeover. You know, I think you're getting what I'm saying here. You, we want a little bit of decorating, and Jesus wants to do a complete remodel, you know. You know what I'm saying. You, you get the picture, right? Do I need to go on and say some more? <laughs> you get the picture. But the truth is that it is only in letting Jesus interfere with our lives that we're going to find real life. You know, Jesus didn't come to this earth so that you would be better behaved. And that would never work with me anyway. Because, you know, everybody's always told me, you're you're ornery. Jerry, Jerry taught me, you know, so he's, the, he, he's a fault, he's Henri. <laughs> well, he's the master, yeah, he's the master, honor. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, so, you know, the truth is, is that, you know, it's, it's letting Jesus interfere with our lives, that we find true life. Jesus, Jesus didn't come to this earth to make us behave better you know or to tweak your personality uh, you know or 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 fine tune your manners or or smooth out your rough spots what he came to do is he came to bring total transformation and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks we're going to talk about what it means to be transformed but he brought total transformation the objective of the gospel is to not make you well behaved people Or to turn you, to turn you into something that you're not. What he, what he's doing is Jesus, he came because he want, he wanted to kill you. He wants to kill you. He wants you to be dead. And what he wants is he wants you to quit fighting and and let him have control of your life, to completely surrender, to, to completely give my life away and have Jesus become my life. Because in Colossians, Paul tells us when Jesus, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That's how Jesus wants it to be. He wants to be completely in control of your life, for you to completely surrender it. I'm dead to Bob Hart, and I am alive to Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. When I die to myself and live for him, that's when I find out what true life is all about. Amen? Absolutely. Are you getting what I'm saying? I hope your, I hope your toes aren't being stepped on too hard because that's the Holy Spirit once again. Because my toes have been hurting all week. And I'm just saying that it, it's, it's honest truth. In Luke chapter 9 verse 23, Jesus says that if we want to follow him, we must obey our, we, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. But at the end of, the, of this chapter, in, in chapter 9, Jesus gives us three examples of people who are potential followers, but are shown to be fans, just enthusiastic admirers. And so I want to find out what they have to say here. If you have your Bibles again, I want you to turn back to Luke chapter 9, and I want you to follow along. We're going to start, we're going to look at Luke 9, verses 57 through 62, and here's what it says. Let me, let me go back here again. I just pulled out the thing there. Okay. Luke 9 verses 57 through 62. Here's what he says. The, the, the subtitle of that is the cost of, of following Jesus. He says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, and this is funny because Dan and I didn't, we didn't, we didn't compare notes or anything like this. Dan just found out because Paul couldn't be here, so he got up to do this. And he didn't know that I was going to be using this scripture today in my message, but he used it up here for his, um, communion meditation. That's how God works. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds have, of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You know, we we read about this first fan in verse 57 there. You know, they were walking along the road and a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And notice he, he, he says, I will follow you. I, I will, I will be there. I will follow you wherever you go. Wherever. That word wherever. And and, and he, he's at, at least talking a good, a good game here. And Jesus said to, and he says to Jesus, I will follow you without reservation. Without reservation, Lord, I will follow you wherever. And then look at verse 58, Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds, birds have their, their the the birds of the air have their nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus draws attention to the fact that this man loved comfort more than following him. He loved comfort and don't we all love comfort? Do you have that specific chair in your living room that you just like to get and sit in because it's got it almost has like your rear end molded into it there so that you can get into that and you can just lay back and you just have a good time snoozing. Don't, don't do. How many of you have that kind of chair in your living? Room? Okay, yeah. All the guys raise their hands. <laughs> why? Why didn't I? I figured that's what it would be. So, but but yeah, but so this man is basically he he's. Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that this man loved comfort more than following him. And and maybe that's what's keeping many folks from wanting to follow Jesus because the call of Jesus to take up our cross and to follow him is the direct conflict with the desire to be comfortable. It's, it's going to be that we have to step out of our comfort zones. And a lot of us don't want to do that. We like that comfort zone because it's comfortable. Isn't it? And it's hard to step out of that comfort zone. And so he points that out. We are by nature comfort seekers. A follower is not asking the question, how can I be comfortable? And many of us are not following Jesus. We are following comfort. We've made comfort our God. It's what we live for what we work for, sacrifice for, but there's nothing comfortable about the call to follow Jesus. There just isn't. So as you determine the relationship that you have with Jesus, let me ask you a question. And this is an important question. Is the relationship that you have with Jesus one of convenience or one that's committed? What's the difference between convenience and committed? Well, I was, I was reading this, this illustration a few weeks ago, and it, it, and it just came to my mind. Hey, I, I could use that right there because it was so, I, I thought it was a really good one. This farmer, he had this, this chicken and this pig, and this chicken and pig had become good friends. And so one, one morning, they're out walking around the, the farm grounds there, and they walked by... The farmer's window, and they looked in the window, and guess what they saw in the window? They saw a plate of bacon and eggs. And the chicken looked and said, "Look, you know, I conveniently gave them, you know, a couple eggs there." And the pig looked and said, "Wow, well, I tell you what, I am totally committed because I gave of myself right there." You know, it's 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 that it's that difference. It's that convenience or commitment. You know, what are you? And and that's the that is the relationship one of convenience or is it one of commitment with your relationship with the Lord? This man in verse 57 spoke words of commitment, but when Jesus painted a picture for him of what that commitment would look like, this man kind of seemed to back off. And I think there's a lot of people who have made a decision. To believe in Jesus, but have never really committed to Jesus. You know, I like this. MSNBC did a report and they called it the new vegetarians. The new vegetarians. Christine or Christy Pug was her name. She was a 28 year old and she captured this report. She said, I usually eat vegetarian, but I love bacon. Who doesn't? Who doesn't love bacon? You know? She, she, goes, she goes, I I usually eat vegetarian, but I love bacon. She represents a growing number of people who refer to themselves as flexitarians. Have you heard of that word flexitarian? <laughs> uh, it's, it's just to me it's just funny. But but she, so she refers to herself as a flexitarian. Most of the time they will refuse to eat meat, but once in a while. They're going to make an exception. Christy explains it this way. You know, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm not 100% committed. Flexitarian is a good way to describe how many people today view their commitments. Flexitarians are committed until it becomes inconvenient or uncomfortable. So when the special is filet mignon, or that real thick, juicy ribeye steak, well, okay, maybe that commitment can be adjusted. And unfortunately, that's the way some Christians approach their commitment to Jesus and to his word. You know, I really like Jesus, but I don't really like serving the poor. You know, I'm not a real big fan of, you know, the idea of going to church But you know what? I I love Jesus, and and maybe I'll listen to him on TV. I love Jesus, but this area of my life, when when I'm with my friends or when I'm at this place or that place, then I'm going to be flexible, and I'm not going to be 100% committed to him. My feet are hurting. And so they will say, I want to follow Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive that person who hurt me. Don't ask me to release that bitterness and that resentment because I'm not going to let it go. You know, I, I want to follow Jesus, but don't ask me to give a percentage of my money. I worked hard for that. I did. You know, we're wear the name Christian and then and then we pick and choose the teachings of Jesus that, that we're going to follow as if the teachings of Scripture are like some kind of buffet. They're like some kind of buffet where you can just go and choose what you want and then leave the rest of it there. You don't have to worry about it. So we would never do that, but that's what fans do. And so what I'm telling you today is this, be a follower, be a true disciple, not a fan. Notice what he says there in verse 59 there. We meet the second fan, verses 59 and 60 there. He says, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead, this sounds pretty harsh though, doesn't it? He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, one of the first words out of this guy's mouth is first. He says, first, let me go first. The the first thing he does is he puts Jesus off. You know, I, I want to follow. I really do. But right now is not a good time. You know, so, some, some treat their relationship with Jesus just like that. They treat it as if you're getting ready to start a diet. Do you know how it is when you're getting ready to start a diet? Well, okay, I'm going to start this diet, but first, let me finish that whole pizza in that two-liter bottle of Pepsi. And many times, that's what we do to Jesus. First, let me do what I want to do. You know, we put Jesus off. And we put, we put off going, just like we put off going to the gym, it will say, well, I'll, I'll start tomorrow. You know, this is my last time. Um, when I get out of college, uh, when I get married, uh, when I start having kids, uh, when I have a less demanding job, instead of getting out of bed, we just keep hitting the snooze button time and time again on our snooze clock there. You know, just 10 more minutes, Lord. Let me just sleep. 10 more minutes. Bam. And go back to sleep. Maybe you hear this man's excuses for putting Jesus off. He wants to go bury his father. And you might think that Jesus is being a little too hardcore here. Come on, Jesus, let the guy go and bury his dad. Well, some would interpret this passage as saying, most likely his father wasn't even sick, wasn't dead yet. But when he dies, I'm going to have to go and bury him. So, you know, so, and this is the way for, you know, the man to say, you know, when, when my parents die, then, then I will follow you. When I get that inheritance, you know, when, when I know that I won't, um, that they won't disapprove, then I will follow you. But, but his excuse isn't enough for Jesus, you know, and I, I'm not sure what is holding you back. He said, you know, it may be something that seems very legitimate, but Jesus is saying the time is now. The time is now. We can't keep putting him off. We can't be putting things off. You know, and, and one of the things I, I, I tell I can tell you for certain is this is that the longer we put Jesus off, the less likely the less likely it is that we will follow him. You know, if we keep putting him off and we keep putting him off, it's gonna be less likely that we're gonna want to follow him. And then notice in verse, the, the next, the next guy here in verse 61, verses 61 and 62, this is what it says. This is the third guy. He says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, and once again, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't looking for half-hearted followers following him part-time isn't an option you know he has no interest in Sunday only Christians following him who are continually looking over their shoulder wondering if they are missing out and always second-guessing their decision to follow you know and I think about this a lot you know well if there's nothing better to do then okay I'll go to church Oh, but you know, there's you know I got to be home by this time because I got to watch that football game, or, or you know my my friends are asking me to go out. So okay. Both the second and third followers are dealing with the issues of priority. So let me ask you another question. This is an important question to help you define the relationship that you have with Jesus, and that's this question: Is Jesus one of many? Or is he your one and only? Is Jesus one of many or is he your one and only? See, fans want to make Jesus one of many. And Jesus is clear that that's not an option for us. Jesus says the most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you. It is the top priority. When you put your feet on the floor, before you even get out of bed, he wants to to converse with you. Before you go to bed at night, he wants to converse with you. And throughout the day, he wants to converse with you. He wants to have that relationship with you. I can't imagine going home you know, after being away from my wife and just completely ignoring her and not saying a word to her. That's because we have that relationship. And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants. He wants that from all of us. Jesus explains that following him is not something that we do part-time or halfway. Jesus says, it's all or nothing. And I like what Kyle Eidelman... Kyle Eidelman, when he wrote this book called Not a Fan, he shares a story about a young man from his church who dedicated himself to following the upside-down ways of Jesus a few years ago. And like many of us, he talks about his before and after story, and it was pretty dramatic. And so I'm going to share his story with you this morning because I want you to see what happened in that story. And I don't know if you know where Kyle Eidelman ministers, but Kyle Eidelman is the, is one of the preachers at, um, the church in Louisville, Kentucky. It's the largest, it's a Southeast Christian church. It's one of the largest churches in our brotherhood. we well, like 30,000 members. And so this kid wants to be, uh, immersed into Christ. And so here's the story. He, he shares the story. He says, a relationship with Jesus has changed everything for him. This, this young man, Kyle says. Before following Jesus, his life consisted, in his own words, of going out, drinking, smoking pot, and chasing girls. He'd show up for work with a hangover, and more often than not, he wouldn't even show up for work. He was full of anger and didn't know why. He felt like he was running in circles with no purpose. He goes on to say he felt like he was just going through life aimlessly. But when he met Jesus, Jesus brought a radical change in his life. If you were to spend a few minutes with him, it's easy to see the joy that he has found in Christ. He is constantly at church serving whatever he can can do. He's a single dad with plenty of financial struggles. But when he became a Christian, he decided that he would no longer work during church time even though he needed the hours and he would tithe even when things got tough and when things were tight, he still would tithe. And he goes on to say this, not long ago, he asked if, if he could, if he could, if I could meet with him and his mom. And I said, well, sure. So the three of us sat down for coffee at a cafe. I knew she went to a different church in town and I assumed that she wanted to meet me, at least in part to compliment me in our church because of the difference that she had seen in her son. But that wasn't the case. She was upset with me and the church because, in her words, my son has taken this way too far. She goes on to say she she was not pleased with how much time he was spending at church and how he always wanted to pray When we had family meals and and how he was always trying to tell his family about the sermon and she was upset that he was giving some of his hard earned money to the church. And here's what she said to me. Listen to this. Listen to what she says. She goes, can you please tell him that the Bible teaches everything in moderation She said he has taken this too far and he needs to understand that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Well, the words from Luke chapter 14 make a little bit more sense, I think. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 25. He says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it, let me turn the page here, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has Cannot be my disciple everything in moderation come on that's what she was saying. you know in that scripture to understand this we, we we need to know that the bible the bible's not contradicting itself. We must realize that these statements here that were just that I just read are are comparative ideas. Yes, God is love. Yes, we are to love one another. However, Jesus, Jesus is our, in our text here today is, 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 is saying that if you want to come after me, if you want to be my follower, then, then you must love me more than anything else or anybody else in the universe. He is saying that when it, that when it comes to comparisons, your love for me and your love for everybody else should pale in comparison. Every other relationship that you have should appear as though your love for me so outshines your love for anything else and everybody else that it appears like you hate them when you don't. But that's what our love for him is supposed to be like, that we love him so much that we want to do anything and everything that he wants us to do. And if it appears like, well, I'm going to hate my mother, my brother, my sister, my father, whatever, it's basically saying... I love Jesus more. I love Him more than I love my mother. I love Him more than I love my father. I love Him more than I love my wife. I love Him more than I love my children. That's what Jesus is saying here. Folks, Jesus doesn't say everything in moderation. He says, you can't be my follower if you don't give up everything to follow me. And so the invitation hasn't changed. Jesus still says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, my favorite word in that invitation is anyone. No matter what your story, no matter what you've done, this is the relationship Jesus wants to have with you. Anyone, anyone who has ever laid awake at night and thought, I would give anything to undo what I've done. Anyone who has looked at themselves in the mirror and said, I can't believe what I have become. Anyone is an all-inclusive term. Anyone means everyone. Anyone means you and anyone means me. That's what anyone means. (laughs) Jesus is saying to us today what he has said to the multitudes in his day. It's easy to be a fan. Fans are here today and they're gone tomorrow. Following takes commitment. Following takes sacrifice. Unfortunately, the church today seems to be filled with more fans than it does followers. We have people in pews that are fans of, 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 of building, you know, of the building itself. We have people who are, who are fans of the preacher. We have people who are sitting in the pews that are fans of the worship leader or the worship band. We have people who are fans of the, of, of an elder or a teacher. And, and there are those who are even fans of Jesus, but, but they have never made the transition to become a true follower of Jesus. And today is the time that we need to declare our loyalty because I'm telling you what, folks, that world out there, it's, it's changing and it's changing fast. And if we don't stand up and be true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the world is going to just run over the church. And we can't allow that to happen. We are more than just a building. It's time that we decide if we're going to be a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ. And the decision is yours. It's not, it's not my decision to make for you. There may be some here today Who don't like what I just said. And you know what? And, and I would agree with you. I I don't like what I said either. It's hard to say because I see myself there as well. Some will think, who is he to tell me? You know, and, and I'm, I'm here to say it's not my words. It's God's words. You know, these words can bring life or they can bring condemnation. But I'm here, I'm here because I'm convicted by the message. And the question is this, fan or follower? There is a big difference between a fan and a follower. The question is this, which are you? Which are you?